Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and we're going to be chatting with Kenny Albert. Kenny, thank you for coming on our show, and welcome. Doug, it's great to be with you and Ben and Paula. Hope everybody's doing well and staying safe during these crazy times, but an honor to be on the show with you guys. Oh, it's it's ours, please. Um, I've got some questions for you, and we'll go through these, try to get through them as quick as possible, because I know you've got a tight schedule today. Thank you again. What was it like as a kid growing up with a famous father and uncles in the sportscasting business? It was great. I, I really didn't know any different because from uh, my earliest memories, uh, I was well aware that my father was a sportscaster. I would watch him on the local news on WNBC in New York and listen to games on the radio that he was working, whether it was Rangers hockey or Knicks basketball. And his two brothers, Al and Steve, were doing play-by-play in the New York area as well. So. It was so much fun uh, being able to tag along and, and go to games in so many different sports and really learn via osmosis. I knew at a young age that I wanted to get into sports casting and could not have really asked for a, a better situation or a better teacher or teachers to have uh, than my father and my two uncles. That's awesome. I read uh, with great interest about you getting a recorder uh, from your parents at age five. When I was a, a kid, I used to sit up in my room and watch the Sunday hockey games with Peter Puck and turn off the sound and do play-by-play onto a recorder. Do you remember what type of recorder you had uh, when you were young? Well, Doug, I was a big Peter Puck fan as well. We're probably around the same age. I grew up during the 1970s and have great memories of watching Peter Puck on the NBC hockey games in the U.S., the initial tape recorder was some kind of a, a toy recorder, and then it eventually uh, morphed into a real tape recorder, which I can sort of visualize. It was, uh, you know, somewhat bulky, and it had the, the re- rewind button, the fast-forward button, the record button, the stop, and the pause. Uh, but that initial recorder was probably a hybrid between a, a toy and an actual real tape recorder. That's awesome. Uh, mine was a reel-to-reel with uh, great big spools of tape that I think, if I recall correctly, when my dad was sent over to Africa to teach uh, refrigeration when I was a kid, that that went with us so that we could send documentation back to family members back home. But that, that's awesome. It's kind of interesting that uh, we had something similar when we were young kids. I, I do have another question for you. Did your parents let you keep your earnings when you were a statistician at age 14? <laughs> That's a great question. Getting back to the uh, previous question, I don't think we had a reel-to-reel recorder at that point, but we did have reel-to-reel videotapes that my parents had taken back in the 60s. I was born in 1968, and about 20 years ago, I actually brought the reel-to-reel video recordings into a uh, uh, you know a video place that would uh, transfer it over onto either a VHS tape or a DVD. So I know they had the the reel-to-reel as well, a little before my time. Um, as far as the earnings, so my first job when I was around that same age, around 14 or 15, I started writing for the town newspaper. I covered high school sports, and I made $5 a week, and I thought that was the greatest thing ever. So it was $20 a month, and I'm pretty sure I did get to keep that. Uh, when I started working with my father as the statistician on Rangers games, if I remember correctly, it was $25 per game. And then it actually went up to 50 and then to 75 over the next five or six years. So 
Um, I was able to start a little bit of a bank account back then, but I think it was 25 per game at the start. That That's an awesome story. And as a kid, w- w- you're a little bit younger than I am. Um, I'm a dinosaur and you're not anywhere close to that. But it's funny. I grew up in a building. My dad was the chief engineer for the Minnesota North Stars. So um, it was interesting for me, certainly not what your dad uh, got to expose you to, uh, but it was fun for me to be around a building like that. Um, I also read with great interest that uh, you wrote content for the Rangers game magazine. What was your favorite type of uh, information to write about? And was that called the goal magazine like it was when I was a kid at the Met Center? So it was a combination. The Rangers had their own uh, game program, but they did also uh, use some of the content from goal magazine. And I would write little four to five paragraph features occasionally, which was a lot of fun. I would get to go to the locker room and interview players and coaches, both with the Rangers and with the other teams. Uh, But it's ironic that you asked me about Goal Magazine because at the age of uh, 17, which was in 1985, my first internship uh, was at the NHL office uh, for John Halligan, who was the great public relations director with both the New York Rangers for a long time and the NHL. And he assigned me to work with uh, Stu Hackle, who remains a good friend to this day, who was the editor of Goal Magazine. So as a 17-year-old, I actually was an intern and production assistant with Goal Magazine. And it was a great thrill when Stu allowed me to write an article a couple of years later on the early introduction of computers into the NHL and and how uh, certain teams would use computers for scouting and for keeping statistics. So um, back in the 80s, I was actually an intern for Goal Magazine, believe it or not. That's awesome. Were you allowed full access to the players while you were writing or as a statistician? Uh, Somewhat. After games, I would be able to go to the locker room to get quotes for some of the future articles, uh, similar to the mainstream media. If I attended a practice or a morning skate, I could go to the locker room as well. But uh, it was just terrific, you know, learning some of those skills as well, even though I wanted to become a play-by-play broadcaster. Did a lot of writing probably from age 15 until I was about 22 or 23, and I think that uh, certainly was – uh, you know, went a long way to helping with some of the communication skills and interviewing skills that you need as an on-air broadcaster. Sure. Did you play any sports growing up thinking you were going to be the next Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan or any other sports? Well, I, I think you know, I never uh, envisioned being the next Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan. I certainly hope to be, but uh, that was apparent at a young age that I would not be. Um, I did play hockey. We had a local rink and I started skating at a real young age twin rinks in Port Washington on Long Island and when I was 12 was uh, right around the time when the U.S. Olympic team won the gold medal in Lake Placid and I remember how so many more kids started playing hockey it was really a boon in the United States at that time and I had been playing before then but the enrollment certainly uh uh you know the the levels of enrollment uh raised tremendously the numbers uh exponentially at that point following uh, the Miracle on Ice in Lake Placid. In high school, uh, we did have a club team. It was not an official school team affiliated with my high school, but I did play uh, club hockey. And then in college, ironically, my freshman year at NYU, I thought my hockey playing career was over. And in September of 86, during my freshman year, I noticed a flyer hanging on the wall in one of the buildings. A fellow student uh, wanted to start a club hockey team at NYU. And 
I went to the first meeting and I helped out with a lot of the administrative duties and I wound up playing on the team for four years. Uh, I wouldn't say I was one of the best players on the team. I was probably a third line winger, but I did score the first goal in the history of NYU hockey and the program's come a long way. Uh, they have a terrific program now. They won a, a national championship at the club level about five or six years ago. So proud to say that I was a part of it right from the start. Well, you were the start, the legend that they can all look up to. Well, I'm not sure if I'd use the word legend. Uh, the first goal was probably a, a wrist shot from the top of the right wing circle. Uh, didn't have much speed on it. And I think the goalie was probably screened by about three or four bodies. He never saw it. It's still in the net and more than I ever scored in college. How is it that it and I actually, Doug, believe it or not, discovered a couple of years ago that I played college club hockey against John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who was a lacrosse player at Hofstra on Long Island and also played on the Hofstra club hockey team. And somehow we figured out that we played club hockey against each other back in the late 80s. It's awesome when you can find out those connections years later as to how you're all intertwined. It's amazing. I do have a question of how does a kid from New York City have as his play-by-play -play broadcasting idol, Jim Robson, how did he become your idol when he was with the Canucks? It's a good question, Doug. Uh, somehow, despite having a father who was the radio voice of the New York Rangers for many years, I became a huge Vancouver Canucks fan back in the mid-70s, and I had the jersey. I had all the different jerseys, the, the green and blue, the initial Canuck jerseys. Then they went to the red, black, and gold. I had my room painted in Vancouver Canucks colors, and I never really got to hear many of Jim's broadcasts, but uh, my father introduced me to him when, when he would come in to broadcast the game at Madison Square Garden. I would go visit him when the Canucks came to play the Islanders or later on the New Jersey Devils. So he, he was one of my early broadcasting influences, despite the fact that I never really got to hear much of his work, but he was such a nice man and we would correspond. I would write letters and he would send me letters back from Vancouver. And I just uh, had a nice visit with Jim this past season prior to the pandemic when the Rangers played out in Vancouver and he's around 80 years old now he's retired, but he still comes to the games and, visited the broadcast booth and we had a great chat so uh happy to see that he's still doing well and how did that play out when mark messier made the promise that the rangers were going to win the title and it was against your favorite team well by that point i was working professionally so you lose some of the fandom i rooted heavily for the canucks in 82 when they played the islanders in the stanley cup final i went to the first two games in 94, I was working in Washington doing the television broadcast with the Capitals. But again, due to a, a long and strange set of circumstances, I wound up calling the 94 Stanley Cup on NHL radio all seven games. And it was a tremendous thrill. Uh, I actually, uh, sidebar, met my wife during that series uh, after game five. She was with some mutual friends. And if the Rangers had won that game, we probably would not have met. So uh, fate. Uh, it played a big part on that night, June 9th, 1994. But um, I'll have to admit that during the 94 series, I grew up in New York going to Rangers games at the Garden. They hadn't won in 54 years. So uh, not that I was rooting because I was working the series on the radio, but I always wanted to see what it would be like if the Rangers won a Stanley Cup, especially at home at MSG. And they happened to be playing the Canucks. So it was just such a great thrill to be part of that series. It's interesting. I just did a podcast with Dennis Hextall, whose father 
I believe, scored the winning goal for the Rangers in 41, the, the last time prior to 94. And I know the chants that the Islander fans used to yell was 1941 uh, for how many years it had been since the Rangers won a cup. And it, it certainly was special. No, it sure was. It had been a long time. And uh, to be in the building that night, I'll, I'll never forget it. That's that's great. I, as a kid, got to listen to Al Shaver, who I thought was one of the great play-by-play announcers. He did the Minnesota North Stars. Was lucky enough to meet him a few times. Uh, it's great as a kid when you look up to uh, an idol or somebody that uh, you'd like to emulate. Uh, one of the other ones who was a, a big influence on me because I loved his statement of, I tell it like it is. Did you ever get the chance to rub elbows with Howard Cosell? I did not. I remember seeing him once at a at a football game, but I was real young at the time. I uh, never met Howard. I have actually met and corresponded with, uh, believe it or not, his grandson, Colin, who is one of the public address announcers for the New York Mets. So I've, I've met Colin a couple of times. And like I said, we've uh, corresponded via text and on social media. So never met Howard, but uh, have enjoyed spending a little bit of time with his grandson. That's awesome. What's your favorite sport to call and why is it your favorite sport to call? Well, I've been very fortunate, Doug, to be involved in in four different sports for a long time and have worked some others as well. And, you know, I always say it's like asking what kids you like best. If you have four, uh, sometimes it's hard to answer the question. As a youngster growing up, hockey was my favorite sport. Um, I love the others. They weren't too far behind, but there was just something about it. The speed, the excitement. I played hockey. That was my goal, uh, to do hockey play-by-play on the radio. And my first job was in Baltimore with the Skipjacks of the American Hockey League. And hard to believe it's been 30 years, and I've been involved in the NHL now on a full-time basis for the last 28. Um, also started doing NFL football in 1994, and there's nothing like 1 o'clock on a Sunday when they kick off. And I've worked uh, five divisional playoff games where there are somewhere around 35 or 40 million people watching. There's a lot of eyeballs on you during those games. And I really enjoy doing basketball and baseball as well. So it's really hard to answer the question, but um, hockey certainly from as long ago as I can remember has had such a special place. I was so fortunate to uh, work most of the games in the Edmonton bubble, but I worked 34 games in Edmonton, including a couple of game sevens in the second round on the same day. And there's really nothing like the Stanley cup playoffs. It's it's hard to believe what uh, we've had to endure, and I'm a firm believer, obviously tied to the sport and going back to growing up in Minnesota. Uh, hockey is the greatest sport, and I think the Stanley Cup's the hardest trophy to win. What is the most difficult sport to call, and why is it the most difficult sport to call? You know, I get that question a lot, Doug, and most people expect the answer to be hockey because of all the European names and the fact that the players change on the fly and it's so fast-paced. To me, hockey is actually the easiest, maybe because I've done it for so long. It's like riding a bike. Uh, Football is the most rhythmic. It's one play, and then it's 20 or 25 seconds. Then it's another play, and it's 20 or 25 seconds. Basketball is similar to hockey. It's a slower pace, but same concept. Uh, Hockey, the puck's in action for 60 minutes. Basketball, it's in action. Uh, The ball for the entire 48 minutes. There are probably more stoppages uh, in basketball with fouls and out-of-bounds plays. Of the four, to me, baseball is the most challenging because I only do about 12 to 15 games a year, and there's so much downtime to fill between pitches, between batters. I've also worked a couple of other sports. Uh, Boxing is so much different uh, than the other four because there's no ball, there's no puck. It's just uh, two fighters in the ring. 
I also worked track and field at the Olympics in 2016, which is a, a whole different ball game as well. It was a lot of fun, but a lot of work, a lot of studying uh, to get ready for that. But of the four that I do on a regular basis, I would say that hockey's probably the easiest and, and baseball is the most challenging. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I want to know, because I, I read this on Wikipedia, are you truly the kiss of death to Chicago fans? And if so, can you please work all the Viking bear games <laughs> and call all the duck hawk games? You know, I've read that. I've heard that. I've been referred to as the kiss of death in Chicago. But when I think back to my broadcasting career, I've done a lot of Chicago Blackhawks victories. I worked a Chicago Bears playoff game that they won over the Seattle Seahawks at Soldier Field. Uh, I've worked a lot of uh, wins by the Cubs and White Sox. So I think people tend to have a short memory, especially on social media. Since you're not putting on the pads and the helmet, I'm going to guess that it's more psychological to those fans. And I kind of understand it to a degree being uh, a four-time loser with the Vikings Super Bowl chances and uh, I'm hoping that if they ever get to it, that uh, again, that they might win, but I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope with the team well, they've I, got this know, year. I would love to be able to have an effect on what takes place on the ice <laughs> or on the field. I know some of the viewers think that I do, um, but I'm about two or 300 feet away when I'm up in the broadcast booth and one team has to win and one team has to lose. But I, again, if you go back and check the records, I've worked a lot of games won by the Chicago teams as well. I'm going to have to go to Vegas, I think, and find out what your calling schedule is and, and just see if you've got any Bears games. And if I win, I'll split the uh, split the profits with you. How much time did you spend in Salt Lake City uh, for the 2002 Olympics? And how many of the games did you get to call? I was there for about two and a half weeks. But uh, the ironic thing about those Olympics, it was my first as a broadcaster. I only found out about a week before that I was going to be working. Um, Mike, Doc Emmerich, the great Doc Emmerich, uh, had a personal situation come up about a week before the start of the Salt Lake Games, and he had to pull out. So I was asked to uh, step in and do a lot of the men's and women's hockey games. I think it was 23 games in 12 days, which is usually the case. I've worked the, the four subsequent Olympics after that, 2006 in Torino, Italy, 2010 in Vancouver, 2014 in Sochi, and 2018 in Pyeongchang, and it's been similar. It's been 18 or 19 or 20 games in like 10 or 11 or 12 days, and it's a lot of fun. It, it had the same feel in Edmonton, to be honest, when I was up in the bubble working two and three hockey games a day for a couple of weeks until there were fewer teams uh, once the second round got underway. But it, it's exhilarating. You kind of run on adrenaline. Uh, you do your two games a day. You go back to the hotel and get ready for the two games the next day, but I wouldn't trade it in for anything. It's so much fun. And uh, the Salt Lake Olympics were my first, so I have some great memories from, from those games. I was fortunate enough to be up there as part of a support team for the Zamboni machines uh, at those games. And I one of my treasured uh, souvenirs that I have is the hockey puck that Modano scored the winning goal against the Russians. Oh, and wow. it ended up uh, coming up into the stands. They didn't change pucks like they do in the NHL. And it was right after he scored that it came up the vomitory and rolled up to me, quickly put it in my pocket and kind of slid up the hill as people were saying, throw me the puck, throw me the puck. So that's uh, that's sitting in uh, my closet and had a podcast with the executive director of U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. And I think that's where it's going to end up someday when I'm no longer here. That's and a great, you, sou great souvenir to have. 
I think so. Have you had any Zamboni machine experiences? Have you driven a machine? I have never driven a machine. I've obviously been around a lot of Zambonis. Uh, whenever I walk into Madison Square Garden up the uh, ramp, which leads to the locker room area, before every game, I, I pass right by the Zambonis. They have two, of course, now, and uh, have never uh, taken a ride on the Zamboni. My kids probably would have liked to at a young age. They're a little bit older now, but they, they did pose for a number of pictures standing next to the Zamboni at MSG. Did uh, Jack, who's one of the drivers, did he deliver you some Bud Light? Because he's now in the Bud Light commercials, uh, driving around New York, delivering Bud Light. You know, I have not seen those commercials, but I know Jack and Paul very well. Uh, Paul Curtis is a good friend uh, from uh, from England. He's a huge uh, European soccer fan, so I know he always uh, likes to hear about uh, my trips over to London. I've worked three football games and two basketball games over there, and we keep up with each other on Facebook as well. So I've known Jack and Paul for a long time, and they're real good guys. And you always have a smile on your face when you run into uh, those two at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I've been blessed to uh, be able to spend some time in there with those two guys. Had a great time. Paul's funnier than all get out. Jack is uh, just a, a comic himself and uh, always enjoy when I get the chance to go out there and visit those guys. Maybe they could give you some less. Maybe they could give you some lessons um, and you could go out to Mr. Dolan's property because he bought one a Zamboni machine. He has a Zamboni 100, which pulls behind a tractor. Have you ever been out there to... Uh, skate on his rink i have not um i know that pat lafontaine has a rink on long island uh i live in new jersey and i know there are a couple of folks uh who have indoor rinks as well so uh, i'd love to skate out there one day um haven't skated in about five or six years uh aside from uh a rangers organization holiday party that i usually attend uh either at rockefeller center or central park I was, I was still playing adult hockey until about 10 years ago, but the schedule got in the way. Um, I, I'm, I'm now picturing the Zamboni. I used to go to summer camp at a place called Kutcher Sports Academy in Monticello, New York, and they had a rink. And uh, Joe and Celia Duffy, Celia was a longtime figure skater. They ran the rink, and they had sort of an, uh, you know, an antiquated Zamboni. It was probably from the 1950s or 60s, but I could still picture what it looked like as it went around the rink at Kutcher's Hotel. That was a, a paddle and chain machine, and that would have probably been a junior. And it's funny you bring up those names because I can remember them. And unfortunately, I don't think that facility is still around anymore. No, no. I actually watched a documentary recently on the uh, the, the Kutcher's Hotel and the summer camp. And uh, the land was bought about five or six years ago. But they were actually a big part of that documentary and just great memories as a youngster of uh, skating there. And I, you're absolutely right. It was a it was a smaller it was a smaller rink and a smaller Zamboni machine. Who do you like listening to uh, in the industry calling any type of game? Is it your father that uh, you enjoy listening to, or is there somebody else that uh, if you could pick somebody to listen to? Well, growing up, certainly my father and my uncles. Um, you know, I would listen to them all the time, but I still watch a lot of games. Uh, you know, many for pleasure and, and many others for work-related reasons when I'm scouting teams uh, for my next games. And in hockey, uh, there are so many great play-by-play -play announcers. Uh, Doc Emmerich, you know, has to be right at the top of the list. Um, others here in the New York area, Sam Rosen and Howie Rose, who are good friends, who I've listened to for many, many years. Um, you know, you mentioned Al Shaver. I never had the opportunity to listen to Al in Minnesota, but I'm 
pretty close with Ralph Strangis, who started with the North Stars and then went down to Dallas with the Stars, and he's a terrific broadcaster. Um, Al Michaels uh, on football, one of the greatest of all time, who, of course, also called the Miracle on Ice back in 1980, and Lake Placid, um, Joe Buck, Mike Tirico, Ian Eagle. You know, there are so many in my generation who I enjoy listening to, and um, a lot of the local NHL broadcasters as well. I have the NHL package, so I'm always checking out uh, different games on the TV and radio. That's interesting that you bring up uh, the 1980 Olympics. I like to bust the chops of uh, Michael Zamboni, who's fourth generation Zamboni family. He's a uh, new business development up at our Canadian plant in Brantford, where there's some hockey player that came out of Brantford by the name of Gronk, Gronk, Gretzky, Keith Gretzky. Oh, Keith Gretzky. That's the guy I think that's that that is uh, out of Brantford. I, I like to joke about that a bit. Wayne Gretzky's great guy. I've been lucky enough to meet him a few times, and we like to think we're almost as famous as he is in Brantford, Ontario. You know, I, I always joke with Keith Jones, who's a Brantford native. Uh, Jones does a great job as a broadcaster now at NBC. When I was with the Baltimore Skipjacks, my first job, he joined the team following his collegiate season at Western Michigan. So I've known Jonesy for 30 years and had a terrific NHL career with Washington and Colorado and Philadelphia. He grew up in Brantford. So we always joke about the fact that he's the second greatest NHL player to come out of Brantford, Ontario. <laughs> that's that's is, is, awesome. that where, is that where you guys are from? Uh, everything started in Paramount, California, but uh, we needed to have a plant uh, in Canada. And in the early 80s, before I came out to the company, uh, Frank Zamboni, who's the grandson of the founder, moved up to Brantford and established our Canadian facility up there. So he kind so of went the opposite name, direction. If your last name is Zamboni and you live in Canada and you make a restaurant reservation, do you ever have to pay for a meal? I don't know if you do or you don't. And that's something that uh, I'll have to ask uh, Mr. Zamboni about that. But it was interesting when Frank went up there. Uh, he wasn't married. And his dad, Richard, he's 88, still comes in the office every day. He uh, was worried about what kind of issues his grandkids would have being a Zamboni in Canada. But uh, it's it's been a great go, and, and Frank's never coming back, and I'm never going back to Minnesota except to visit. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Um, do you have a signature call uh, like Al does? Is, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Or uh, is there something that you use that uh, you're known for? I wouldn't say that I have a, a specific signature call. Uh, there are certain games and calls that people ask me about. Um, actually, one of them uh, took place in the province of Ontario. It was the Jose Bautista home run and bat flip that many of your listeners might remember from the 2015 playoffs, the American League Division Series, Blue Jays against Texas. And it took place in the seventh inning. And uh, when Bautista hit it, my call uh, included the phrase, no doubt about it. And I, I get asked about that pretty often. Um, ironically, it, it was a baseball call, and that's the sport that I've probably done the fewest games in of the four. Uh, but that's the one people want to know about, especially in Canada and in the Toronto area. I worked the 2018 women's gold medal game in Pyeongchang. The U.S. Uh, defeated Canada 3-2 in the shootout. I get asked about that one pretty often. But I wouldn't say there's a specific phrase or catch word catchphrase that I use uh, like some of the other play-by-play -play announcers do. Awesome. Go back to uh, Lake Placid. Were you able to attend or did any of your family members, uh, uncles, your dad, were they up in Lake Placid for the games? No, they, they were not at the game. Um, one of my uncles may have been 
may have been nearby doing reports for one of the news stations in New York, but I'm pretty sure he was not at the game. I was uh, watching at home, and the story's been well documented. The game was on delayed tape on a Friday night against Russia. So I remember my mother actually told me the score. She heard about it on the radio in the late afternoon, but I still watched the game, and then I watched the Finland game on Sunday when they actually clinched the gold medal. Um, I have talked to Sam Rosen, who's the longtime TV voice of the Rangers, who was there in the building calling the game on radio, uh, along with Keith Olbermann, who worked for him at UPI Radio at the time. Sam hired Keith, and they were both in the building uh, calling the, uh, not the entire game, but snippets and highlights on radio. So I've I've spoken with people who were in the arena, uh, but I was not at the game, and none of my family members were at the game, even though there were probably 100,000 people that claimed they were there. Um, I've never been to Lake Placid, both my daughters, who are 21 and 17, have actually been in the rink as part of uh, summer trips with various groups they've been a part of. So I've seen pictures of my kids in the rink, but I've never been to Lake Placid. It's, uh, for me, it was like, there's only been two times where I've got kind of chills. One was seeing the parquet of uh, Boston Garden floor for the first time. And being in Lake Placid, knowing what went on, then going through the locker rooms, getting the tour. I was lucky enough to have Herb Brooks as a hockey instructor uh, and knew him well enough that he knew who I was uh, as a kid. So it, it was spectacular. If you ever get the opportunity, uh, you should jump on it and go up there and see it. Because to me, it was the greatest sporting event of my lifetime. And I can't ever imagine it being replicated. Well, I'd love to check it out uh, one of these years. Um, it's funny you mentioned the parquet floor. I- I referenced Kutcher Sports Academy, where I attended summer camp back in the 80s. And Red Auerbach had had been the director before I was there uh, back in the 70s. And he actually donated one of the original parquet floors from the Boston Garden to the summer camp. We used to play floor hockey on the old Boston Garden floor. We would scratch it up. You know, we had the sticks and the, and the balls and the pucks. So it was probably sacrilegious. But we played we actually played floor hockey on the old Boston Garden floor. And as far as Herb Brooks, I had the pleasure to meet him a couple of times. I did a TV interview with him in 1991 when I was in Baltimore and he was coaching the Utica Devils of the American Hockey League. And uh, Todd Halusco, who had played for the Skipjacks, played in the NHL, he actually had a copy of this interview and put it out on social media about six months ago. And I'll never forget how nervous I was interviewing Herb Brooks. I was 23 and it was only 11 years after the Miracle on Ice, but I've also heard uh, wonderful stories about Herb from Joe Micheletti, who I'm sure you're familiar with, who grew up in Minnesota with his brothers. Many of the siblings played at the U in Minnesota. And uh, Joe's one of the great color analysts in the NHL. And uh, Herb recruited Joe out of high school, and, and he became like a second father to him. And to tie this all together, Doug, because you have the puck, Joe Micheletti is Mike Madonna's father-in-law. That's awesome. Well, you have to tell him that I've got that puck, and maybe if he makes me an offer, that uh, I might I might be willing to part with it. I, I will definitely pass it along. I think Mike is coming east to spend some time with Joe this weekend, so they'll be together over the next couple of days. I was lucky enough to see the Micheletti family play hockey. We just did a podcast with Doug Palazzari, and he brought up uh, all the great names. And we have a rule that if your last name ends in a vowel, you got to be Italian, and I'm pretty sure that fits with the Micheletti family. Well, the Michelettis are a great family. And then John Perpich, who you might know, whose father was yep. a legendary high school coach. And John was an assistant coach in Washington when I was with the Capitals. 
Uh, I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. The Michelettis and the Perpiches in Hibbing, Minnesota, grew up down the street from each other, and they would have legendary uh, street hockey games. And Kevin McHale, the great Celtic, uh, also lived in the area, and Joe Micheletti played uh, some hockey as a youth with Kevin McHale back in Hibbing. And I think Kevin went the right direction. And there was also some singer that came out of there named yes, Dylan, I I'm think, sure that's recently hockey, famous. But I guess it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're getting to the end. I've got to want to ask a quick question about um, your uncle. He got the opportunity to be on a show with Jesse Ventura called The Grudge Match. Jesse's a former uh, Minneapolis Roosevelt High School grad, as am I. Um, he had a different name back then. But uh, you, did you ever get the chance to rub elbows with him? I did not. Um, my uncles, Al and Steve, were both involved in, in boxing for a long time and some other reality type shows, as you mentioned. So uh, one of them did work with Jesse. I have met back in the day and have pictures with uh, Andre the Giant, Ric Flair and Sergeant Slaughter, believe it or not. So I do have pictures with those three, but never met Jesse the body. Rick, woo, Flair, that's the guy. He's a buddy of mine's a big time wrestling guy. And uh, he made sure I corrected myself on going with the right word from Mr. Flair. Um, favorite city to, to visit? This can be kind of like a rapid fire. There, there are a number that fit into the category of favorite. In the U.S., I uh, love Chicago. You brought up Chicago before, but it's a great sports city. Uh, terrific restaurants. And, um, you know, if you're there in the summer, it's a little warmer than other times of the year. But love Chicago. Love the warm weather cities, you know, like Phoenix and going to California or Florida, but I would have to say Chicago might be the favorite city to visit in the U.S. Uh, in Canada, Vancouver, Montreal are certainly among the favorites and uh, enjoy traveling to London. I've done a number of events over there as well. Favorite building, any sport? Well, um, you know, it's again, hard to choose one. I'd have to put Lambeau Field up there, Fenway Park, Wrigley. Enjoyed working a couple of games at the Montreal Forum, the Boston Garden back in the day. But if I had to, if I had to choose one, it might be uh, in football, Lambeau Field, and in, in baseball, uh, I'd have to go with the Fenway-Wrigley combination. Favorite food? Pizza's usually at the top of the list. Um, have gotten into sushi in recent years, but probably would have to go with pizza. And that ties in with Chicago as well. There you go. Favorite city for food? You're living in near New York City. Is that uh, close to the top of the list? You know, it's hard to pick one city. I have certain restaurants in, in many different cities. And if I had to pick one, Prime 112 in Miami Beach, that would be the number one restaurant choice, followed by um, probably Nobu in New York would be number two. But Prime 112 in Miami Beach for sure. Okay. I spent a little bit of time in New York City a while back. What is your favorite street vendor in New York City? Back in college, I used to go to uh, Gray's Papaya, uh, 99 cent hot dogs. I haven't had okay. one of those in a long time, but <laughs> I, I have uh, a lot of memories of, of Gray's Papaya hot dogs. We've, we went to Halal Brothers and found that there's a difference between the Halal Brothers. And there was one near the Hilton Hotel we were staying at Midtown that was awesome. Well, I'll give a shout out. Uh, along those same lines in the Washington DC Maryland area where I lived about 25 or so years ago there's a there's a chain there are about 10 of them Moby Dick House of Kebab that would be my favorite lunch place it's not okay. a street vendor it's an actual uh you know place you can go in and sit 
but Moby Dick House of Kebab for sure would be the number one choice for lunch. And best restaurant in Little Italy, New York City? Uh, I forget the name. I was actually with my family at a restaurant. Uh, I'm not sure if it was in Little Italy or right near Little Italy, but it was uh, tremendous. The pizza and pasta, and I'll have to get back to you with the name. Okay, cool. Um, ben has a question. He wants to know Jets or Giants since you're living in Jersey. Growing up, living on Long Island, um, I was actually both. That might not be the answer Ben was looking for, but they don't play each other very often, and I would get both of their games on TV. Um, now, as a, a, a working member of the media for the last 26 years on NFL games, obviously I remain partial. Um, I've been very fortunate to work, uh, I think, three games that they played against each other through the years. So those were a lot of fun, including one last year. So I, I kind of root for both teams to do well. Okay. Well, Kenny, I want to thank you very much for this. This was such an honor to have you on one of our podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. I am looking forward to the next time I can run into you in person, and I will be looking forward to listening to you calling all the games. Well, Doug, it was a lot of fun. Thanks to Ben and Paula as well. Uh, really enjoyed it. Hope to see you at an NHL arena real soon. Uh, hope you and all of your listeners stay safe and uh, look forward to hopefully doing this again one day. Great. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or requests to info at Zamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you a nice day.